we all know the story of the Wizard of Oz. We watched it. We watched it with our kids. But for Judy Garland, that place over the rainbow was anything but a dream come true. Now stay tuned and let me ruin your childhood. What up, Kay? Hey, Lo, what's up? Oh, you know, living the dream. Oh, yeah. That's such a meme. <laughs> they have so many memes about that. <laughs> where they're, where someone's at work and they're just like, how you doing? They're like, ah, oh, living the dream. <laughs> just doing great. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, um, lots of things going on uh, this past week in Michigan. Yes. Um, we wanted to start off before we get into our show. Um, first and foremost, we want to give our condolences, our prayers, our love and thoughts all out to the Oxford, Michigan families, um, all the victims, the surviving victims, just the whole city. Yeah. Horrible, horrible, unnecessary crime that took place there this past week. Um, and I, yeah, I can't imagine what they're all going through and how they're all feeling. Um, so yeah, our definitely our deepest condolences to to all of the victims and just everyone involved the whole community um we are about well i'm about 30 minutes give or take from oxford you're probably what 45 maybe yeah probably um so it's super close to us um now i'm also in oakland county so there's been a lot of backlash or i don't even know if that's the right word to use but um, a lot of copycats going on. My daughter's school was closed for three days because of it. She did go back today, and they did arrest another boy from her school. So this is the second, actually there's two. They arrested one on Friday, and they arrested another one today for making false um, threats. Or uh, I think today was like a false 911 call. And then Friday was a threat, I believe. Or is another threat. Either way, um, her middle school has two 13-year-old boys that have been apprehended. Um, but we have read and seen that Southfield, Sterling Heights, Bloomfield, today was a fake phone call of 911 in Wild Lake. Um, leave Dax's high school alone. <laughs> um, sorry, but on a serious note, it's not funny. Um, and I just want to say, like, I, parents, please talk to your children, please. Yeah. We have to do better. We have to talk to them and let them know this is not funny. These are not jokes. These kids, they're facing some serious fines and serious jail times for this. And they're not stopping. They're doing it anyway. Yeah. And meanwhile, you have my daughter who was full of anxiety to go back to school today, completely upset, broke my heart. She did, you know, suck it up, and after wiping the tears and taking some deep breaths, she did go to school, and she made it all day, but she was scared. And... Oh, yeah. If you're obviously in the United States, I am sure you heard of the Oxford shooting, um, but if you're not in Michigan, you might not hear about all these other, like, around our area, yeah, like, so many schools are having these <clears throat> threats come to them. And I'm sure most of it is obviously kids trying to be funny or trying to get more time off school. But it's just so messed up because 
it puts so much fear, like you said, in your daughter and all these other students who have to go to the school. Like, I would be terrified if I had, you know, like having to see that and then go to school and hearing people make threats. I'm glad that they're, the schools are putting accountability on the students that have made those threats and or jokes or, you know, all the calls, all of that, because then it helps to set an example so less people do it and it just dies down because it's just so unnecessary and it's just crazy to me that that's even happening. Yes, and on top of it, all these families in Oxford are trying to mourn and trying to come with the reality that their kids aren't going to be home for Christmas this year and it's just terrible and... I didn't even go to that school, and I shed tears. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have family there, but just reading the stuff, it oh, broke yeah. my heart so bad. I do have friends that have friends or are connected there, so I did talk to some people, and they're hurting, and they're scared, and, you know, it's just terrible. And don't get me started on the Crumbly family right now, from the shooter all the way to the parents. Like... We're not going to get into it because that could be a whole nother a whole hour episode that we'll itself. talk about. Yeah. Um, but all the balls that were dropped and mm-hmm. just, it angers me. Um, I just want to say that I'm very happy that they're prosecuting the parents and taking it serious. And Yeah. But. And, and the kid is getting, a, a, what, three times life four. sentence for yeah right four times of like a life sentence plus terrorist attack mm-hmm. so he's stacked up he's gone yeah um, and he's being tried as an adult right unless yeah unless yeah. i heard the parents are in solitary confinement away from each other not even in public of anybody else because right but again we're not gonna yeah we won't go down that road right now but i just wanted to, i felt i needed to acknowledge it and yes. yeah definitely um, but most and foremost is just the the prayers and peace and peaceful vibes that we're trying to send out to the Oxford community. Absolutely. Um, in other news, kind of shifting gears a little bit, <laughs> um, we went to go see House of Gucci together with Lisa Moore, who is our reoccurring guest, one of our fave guests. Well, our only guest so far. <laughs> but up, Lisa? Yes. And it was pretty good. Lady Gaga nailed it. Jared Leto killed it. Oh, my God. He, he was amazing. Oh, my gosh. And it was just like, it wasn't even supposed to be a comedy type funny. Yeah. It was just, mm-hmm. you're so stupid, you're funny. And if um, you go back, because we did um, an episode on the Gucci family and kind of the, you know, the crime that took place, when we were watching it, some of the details were different like they in the movie they only had one daughter but in real life they had two his lover had a son but in the movie she didn't um was there something else too well they kind of stopped it after her arrest they didn't go back and talk about how she sued for oh right you know all the extra money and stuff but if you really want to hear it i'll go back and listen to her episode yes check it out uh, some juicy details. But Lady Gaga killed it, which we know she would. Oh, she's amazing. She, yeah, I she swear, would. everything she... But you know was good. They're all good. It was a stacked cast, guys. Yeah, it really was. 
It was a longer movie than I thought, but... It was so long, but <laughs> it was... That's how you know it was good, is if you can sit through that long of a movie without being like, oh my god, then you know that it's good. But I wouldn't recommend starting it at almost 9 o'clock at night. Yeah, we, we started <laughs> a bit late. <laughs> but we stayed awake, so go us. Yes. <laughs> so, KK, what are we drinking today? Mm, today... We are drinking 19 Crimes Cali Red Snoop Dogg Red Wine. Murder was the case that they gave. Snoop Snoop. And uh, we want to thank... <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we want to thank Karen Henry. Um, she got this for me for my birthday, actually. So Thank you, Aunt Karen. Thank you, Aunt Karen. Um, I will say I am not usually a dry wine drinker. Um, it's not horrible for me personally it's not one that i would sit down and just drink to enjoy it however if you do like the dry wine i would definitely consider trying it because if i think it's okay then the people that like dry wine probably really will like it right yeah it's definitely a dry red um and yeah if you love dry reds you're you're gonna really like this so but um, i love that it was snoop dogg yeah the cover just is so great she nailed it i know the bottle like just makes it 10 times better so, thank you, Aunt Karen. Okay, so, moving on with our story, if you haven't got it from the trailer. Um, we are going to talk about Judy Garland today. This story is not going to be your typical true crime story or, obviously, a horror movie. It's not. Um, but we wanted to talk about it as in just a crime of the way she was treated and the crime of the way movies were done back then. The crime behind Wizard of Oz as in it was a crime that she was treated that way. Not necessarily like right murder and, you know, all the Bundy and Dahmer stuff. It was just... It was just a sad, horrible life, so we're doing it more in sense of it was a crime that that happened. Yeah, she she had an effed up life, like, and it's so crazy going through all these details, and it's just sad because, you know, in the end, you see how things affected her that we're going to talk about that, you know, she dealt with in her childhood, and um, yeah, it's really just a sad tragic story to be honest when you think of julie judy garland like if you were like me before i knew any of this you're you just, welcome for me me bringing it to yeah yeah i love brought it to uh <laughs> to the surface um yeah if you think of her i feel like most people are like oh judy garland you know uh wizard of oz just like happy beautiful singer um you just get happy vibes from her which and is great but she had a very really hard life so I did read the book um, from Judy Garland, and it is called Get Happy, The Life Story of Judy Garland. <laughs> um, it is a long book, but it was definitely good. It was very detailed. It was a lot of information that I had no clue about. I did not know how many people she, I mean, she was connected to from... Uh, Mickey Rooney to Clark Gable to Frank Sinatra on the Rat Pack. She was just behind it all. So it was um, it was definitely a very interesting story for sure. 
but I know when I thought of Wizard of Oz before all of this, I thought of the Yellow Brick Road, and if you played Wizard of Oz and Pink Floyd at the same time on Acid, it was supposed to be like a... What? It was supposed to... There was a thing! Like, it was supposed to, like, collide together. Like, it flowed together. Wow. It was like a trip people used to I do. I never heard of I that. I didn't do it either, but it was a thing that people talked about. Or, like, if you played it backwards or something. I don't really? Know. Oh. If you guys know what I'm talking about, please email us and explain this in more detail, because it is a thing. That's And then so also, funny. I knew that um, somebody killed himself on set, and right when she's meeting the cowardly lion... You can see the body swinging in the background by the trees. I knew that part. But some of the other stuff I'm about to share with you, I did learn from the book. So, yeah. On that note, let's dive in. Let's dive in. Buckle up. <laughs> okay. So, Judy Garland, her real name is Frances Ethel Gum. She was born... June 10th, 1922. She was from Grand Rapids, Minnesota. She was the youngest child of Ethel Marion and Francis Avon Frank Gum. That's a full name. Yeah. Her parents were vaudevillains. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. <laughs> you said it right. <laughs> yeah, I'm not exactly 100 sure for sure what that means, but... um. Anyways, they settled in the Grand Rapids to run a movie theater that featured the vaudeville acts. She was Irish, English, Scottish, and French. Um, her ancestry, um, it was named after from both of her parents, and she was baptized at a local Episcopalian church. So, Judy Garland got the name Baby as a nickname, and it was from her parents and her sisters. Uh, she shared her family's flair for song and dance. Her first appearance came on stage when she was just two years old. She joined her older sisters, Mary Jane and Susie, or Susan. Um, and then there was Dorothy Virginia, which I think they called her Jimmy Gum. Well, on the stage of her father's movie, during a Christmas show, she sang the chorus to Jingle Bells. The Gum Sisters performed there for the next few years, accompanied by her mother on piano. The family relocated to Lancaster, California in June of 1926, following rumors that her father had some homosexual things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank purchased and operated another theater in Lancaster, and Ethel began managing her daughters and working to get them into motion pictures. By the late 1934, the Gum Sisters had changed their name to the Garland Sisters. Frances changed her name to Judy, and after inspired by a popular Hoagie Carmichael song, the group broke out that the group broke out in 1935 when Susan Garland flew to Reno, Nevada and married musician Lee Kahn, a member of the Jimmy Davis Orchestra playing at Cal Neva Lodge. It's in Lake Tahoe. So in September of 1935, Louis B. Mayer, he was a songwriter, he approached Burton Lane to go to the or- Orpheum Theater? 
And there you go. <laughs> in downtown Los Angeles to watch the Garland sisters act and report to him. A few days later, Judy and her father were brought to and prepped to audition at Metro Goldwyn Mayer Studios in Culver City. Garland performed Zing and went the strings of my heart. Zing went the strings of my heart. Sing it, sing some for us, low. Trying to hold on to the followers we got. <laughs> so the studio immediately signed Garland to contract with MGM. Um, they signed even without a screen test. Though she had made the test for the studio several months earlier, the studio did not know what to do with her. She was only 13 years old. She was older than the traditional child star, but younger than the adult roles. Um, teenage roles? <laughs> Perhaps. It's just a thought. <laughs> well, I don't think they had iCarly out yet, so... Uh, true. You're, you're, you're true. You're onto something there. <laughs> um, so her physical appearance was a dilemma for MGM. She was four foot and a half, and... You know, she was a super cute girl next door wearing the innocent look. Um, but she didn't exemplify the most glamorous person that required for a leading performance for females. And that is just so sad to hear. I know. She was so cute. She was very pretty. Yeah. Um, so, which, of course, what does that do? That leads to self-consciousness for her. Mm -hmm. um, she became very self-conscious, anxious about her appearance. Um, when Judy went to school at Metro, um, she went with Ava Gardner, Lena Turner, Elizabeth Taylor. I mean, that's the one graduating class. Right. Um, and they were all very beautiful women. Um, Charles Walters, who was, a, had directed a number of films, had, you know, went on to direct all these ladies. Judy was the big money maker at the time and a big success, but... He also said she was considered the ugly duckling. <laughs> that is so sad. That's so rude. Oh my gosh. Um, and I think he said that it had a. He thinks it had a very damaging effect on her emotionally for a very long time, and it lasted well, kind of forever. So. How could it not when you're constantly being told that you're the ugly one out of all of your peers? Like yeah. that has to have serious, lasting mental effects. Absolutely. But can they sing like her? Ex Hello. Right. Exactly. So her insecurity, um, it just got bigger over time. And Louis B. Mayer, who referred to her as the little hunchback. I hate all these men. What the heck? It, it, it doesn't get better for her as life goes on. Mm -hmm. um, during her early years at the studio, she was photographed and dressed in plain garments or like frilly juvenile gowns and costumes to match the girl next door image that was created for her. They had her wear removable caps on her teeth and rubber sized discs to reshape her nose. Eventually on the set of Mutiny in St. Louis, um, when she was 21 years old, Garland met Dorothy slash Dottie Pondrell, a makeup artist who worked at MGM and after reviewing the auditions, and they took a look at her, and Garland was kind of surprised that, you know, with the caps and the discs and all this other stuff, that she was a pretty girl. Um, it's a shame that they 
to see her natural beauty, but... Yeah, to, I mean, just to add on to her psychological, you know, issues with her self-esteem, like, to put on literal caps on her teeth and discs on her face to reshape it, like, oh, I can't imagine just, like, how horrible that had to feel internally for her. And I get it, all these models and actresses, I know a lot of it is makeup. I mean, mm-hmm. not, Oh, yeah. But, I mean, to say that you need, like, you know, fake teeth and a prosthetic nose and all this stuff. That goes beyond. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. A little, little bit more. Yeah. So, um, but Pondro, she became Judy's artist, and um, I believe over time she realized, you know what, she doesn't need all this stuff. She is beautiful. So she started working with her, with her natural look. So she kind of, I guess, helped shape her. Um, so she ended up becoming Garland's advisor over time, and she worked on a film underneath Judy for MGM. On November 16, 1935, 13-year-old Garland was in the midst of preparing for a radio performance at the Shell Chateau Hour, when she learned that her father had been hospitalized with meningitis and had taken a turn for worse. Frank Gum died the following morning at the age of 49, leaving her devastated. Her song for the Shell Chateau Hour was her first professional rendition of Zing with the heartstrings of my heart. I don't know why I have to say it. Zing. <laughs> do. Zing. And uh, a song which became a standard in many of her concerts. Now, Garland came to the attention of the studio executives when she sang a special arrangement of You Made Me Love You, I Didn't Want to Do It, to Clark Gable at his birthday party at the studio arranged for the actor. Her rendition was so well regarded that she performed the song in the all-star extravaganza Broadway Melody of 1938 when she sang to a photographer for him. Clark Gable, I mean, that's, back then I guess that's pretty big, I mean. Yeah, I don't know much about him, but I know I've heard his name, so. Yeah, he's kind of gone with the wind, so. Okay. I don't remember. I don't, I've never seen that movie. I know. I, and I know that's a classic, too. Yeah, I have the book, and I did not seen all of the movie. I don't remember mom was big into it, so I've probably seen some of it. Yeah. Um, but. I'd like to sit down and watch it because I know so many people love it as a classic. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of people's favorite movies, I feel like, too. We'll have to have a romantic night instead of a horror night and we'll drink some wine. Yes. We'll switch it up. <laughs> uh, Pat will be like, I'm out. Yeah. Nope. He's like, no to the horror, mm-hmm. no to the romance. <laughs> what the hell's wrong with you two? <laughs> um, so, MGM... Um, hit on a winning formula when it paired Garland with Mickey Rooney in a string of what were known as backyard musicals. Garland stated that she and Rooney and other young performers were constantly prescribed amphetamines in order to stay awake and keep up with the frantic pace of making one film after another. They were also given barbiturates to take before going to bed so they could sleep. So basically, her mom started her on these drugs um, and she would give her uppers in the morning and downers at night and then like no food during the day. It was like water, chicken noodle soup, broth. And she was like, like 13 at this point, right? Like 13, 14, somewhere around there. Yeah. Like they told her, 
I mean, we'll get into it more as we keep going. We're about to. But she, they want her to lose weight for Dorothy Gale. Like, it's just, it's terrible. Way to fuck up a person, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I really feel like if you listen to the story, her mom just went on this, as most child actors do, this ride. and She was more into the momager role than the mom. She ended up being more of um, a paycheck than a daughter. Yeah. It was just terrible. I didn't put everything into it because... We would be here for many hours talking about all the horrible mm-hmm. things. But, yes, I'd like to say a lot of this um, started because mom was giving her pills as meals instead of... Yeah. To, like, stack on top of the already mental stuff she was having to go through and then losing her dad. And then just basically being forced to become addicted to drugs. is just... Yeah, and if you read the book or listen to the book... You will see that she loved her dad. She was super close with her dad. Her dad was more of, you know, that's my baby girl. I love you tight versus the mom where it's like, work, work, know, work. sit up straight, smile, fix your hair, fix your makeup. That's so sad that her dad had to die because then she lost at least a little part of the loving side of parent-child relationship. So, Ugh. Um, so this regular use of drugs, she said, led to addiction for a lifelong struggle. She later resented the hectic schedule and believed MGM stole her youth. Facts. Mm-hmm. Rooney, however, denied the studio was responsible for her addiction. Mm, he probably still has a career going, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. don't want to say too much, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, Judy Garling was never given any drugs by Metro-Goldwyn-Meyer. Mr. Meyer did didn't sanction anything for Judy. No one on that lot was responsible for Judy Garland's death. Well, if if oh. that is true, I don't think so. I could see them totally, especially back then, giving her those to keep her going for hours on end filming. But if anything, it's her mom's fault. Well, and I wouldn't even say that they might have. They might not have been the cause of her death, mm-hmm. but they caused the addiction that later caused her. Exactly. They they implemented it into her life. Yes. I mean, 20 years she was a pill popper. Like, yeah. Or maybe even longer. I'm not doing the fast math right now. <laughs> Pretty much, though. <laughs> um, Garland's weight was within a healthy range, but the studio demanded a constant diet. They even went so as far as to serve her only a bowl of soup and a plate of lettuce when she ordered a regular meal. She went into self-doubt throughout her life despite successful film in recording careers, awards, critical praise, and her ability to fill concert halls worldwide. She required a constant reassurance. And she was just so talented and attractive that it's just, it sucks that she was never good enough. In her own eyes, yeah. Yeah, she was such an icon, and the fact that she thought so little of herself just speaks to how poorly she was treated. Yeah, she went through, like, five husbands, mm-hmm. and they were so close together. Um, like, the marriage and stuff, like, as you read the book, you will see, like, she always had to have somebody, and they had to take care of her, and they had to love her, and she was kind of, like, she's grown to be an adult but she was kind of like a 13 kind of stuck at 13 in a way like you know like 
this adolescent, she was never confident and responsible and you yeah. know, she she had the Tampa tent temper tantrums and she had the bitch fits and she had the pouting when she didn't get her way and I just feel like a lot of it was so much because she didn't have the dad to raise her and she didn't have the mom to care enough. Exactly. And the fact that she was kind of obviously always searching for like validation from people. In the studios they just wanted her yes she had a beautiful voice but to make her feel like you don't have the look to go with it, like lose weight, do this, do that, stop eating. Like she was just a prop. Like yeah, like, especially back like then. she wasn't actually worth anything to them, even though she was worth yeah. a lot to them. So let's talk about the Yellow Brick Road and the Big Emerald City, the Wizard of Oz. So, The Wizard of Oz, 1939. I think that's when, well, that's when it came out. So, Mm -hmm. in 1938, she was 16. Okay, so she was 16, not 13 when she did it. I lied. Um, Garland was cast as young Dorothy Gale in The Wizard of Oz. Um, The film was based on the 1900s children's book by L. Frank Baum. In the film, she sang the song, which will be heard constantly and identified after as Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Somewhere over the rainbow. (laughs) I promise I'll stop. So sorry. Pretty, pretty voice of (laughs) KK. Everyone's plugging their ears. Stay tuned for the live after concert show. Get your your, uh, lighters out. (laughs) Swaying back and forth. So, although producers Arthur Freed and Marvin Leroy had wanted to cast her in the role from the beginning, the studio chief mayor, he first tried to get Shirley Temple from the 20th Century Fox, but declined her claiming she couldn't sing. Well, not like Judy, anyway. Ouch. Shirley Temple my girl, was so Shirley. cute. Oh, my God. She was so oh, cute. Oh, she was so cute. Um. But yes, Judy was perfect for Wizard of Oz. Uh, Garland was initially outfitted in a blonde wig for the part, but Freed and Leroy decided against it, shortly turning it into her blue gingham dress, which was chosen for its blurry effect on her figure, which made her look younger. Shooting commenced on October 13th, 1938, and it was completed on March 16th, 1939, with a final cost of $2 million. Reports of Garland being put on the diet consists of cigarettes, chicken soup, coffee. Um, those are all the basics, right? Oh my gosh. Um, as clarified in the book, um, Road to Oz, The Evolution, Creation and legacy of the motion picture masterpiece by Oz. Historians Jay Scarphone and William Stillman, at the time of her life, Garland was an anti smoker and she was allowed solid food. For example, for a main meal, she was sometimes allowed to eat a bowl of soup and a plate of lettuce. How generous! <laughs> In further attempts to minimize her curves, her diet was accompanied by a swimming and hiking outings, plus games of tennis and badminton 
with her stunt double Bobby Cochet, The Wizard of Oz was a tremendous critical success. By 1939, the Academy Awards ceremony, Judy Garland received her only Academy Award, an Academy Juvenile Award for her performance in 1939, including Wizard of Oz and Babes in Arms. She is the fourth person to receive an award as well, and only one of 12 in history to be presented with one. So, um, we are going to talk to you a little bit about the sadness of Wizard of Oz. The yeah, kind of like you don't see on the big screen. Kind of like the dark behind the scenes uh, stuff that was going on. So, ironically, Judy had said that the Wicked Witch was the one person on the set who was actually nice to Judy and even cared about her in some way. Um, in the days before, um, the computer-generated effects, the film crew had to rely on practical tricks to simulate snow. In this scene, which Dorothy is awakened in a poppy field of blanket snow engineered by Glinda the Good Witch, production reportedly used crystal as asbestos. asbestos. So basically just poison on her for, I don't know, however many takes it probably took to do the scene. How lovely. Um, and it is a heat-resistant fibrous silicate mineral that can be woven into fabrics and then used in a fire-resistant and heat insulation materials such as brake linings. <laughs> it's just poured all over. Just, it's, that's nice. That's great for her, I'm sure. Right, I had to be... Totally healthy and not at all cancerous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Margaret Hamilton, who was the Wicked Witch, she was only allowed to ingest liquids. So, you know, she wasn't the only one being I guess forced. everyone was just on a liquid and lettuce diet. Um, but also on top of that, the elevator malfunctioned going down and trapped her as the fire exploded in the burning, burning of her, burning her face during her stunt. Um, where the broom, like where the big red smoke goes up and she's mm -hmm. supposed to, like right after she first meets her. So it misfired and, um, didn't go down. So it burned her face. And then her stunt double also got hurt when her broom misfired, shooting her into the air and breaking her leg. Wow. So the wonderful scenes were very not stable. No. Um... <laughs> Not a great, uh, not a great day for those ladies. Yeah. Talk about a rough day on set. Yeah. So, um, during one of the scenes where the lion comes in, Judy got a case of the giggles. You know, like the blooper reels we all love to see at the end of the movies. Um, nope, not director Victor Fleming. Mm -mm. He took 17-year-old Judy Garland aside and slapped her in the face, telling her, now, darling, this is serious. All right, now, he said, go back to your dressing room, as Garland did, and she was told to return a few minutes later, which she did, and said that she needs to go out there and perform the scene without a hitch. But she did. Ugh. Which is still fucked up, but she so got it done. Um, Victor claimed that he felt terrible and offered the staff to punch him in the face for what he did, Judy, being the sweetest she was, just kissed him on the cheek and forgave him. Yeah, I fuck off with that. Um, yeah, she took the high road there because I definitely wouldn't have. 
No. If someone slapped me in the face, I would not kiss them on the cheek. <laughs> but I know, different times. But still. Ugh, that makes me so mad for her. Yeah, um, Hollywood Studios seemed to just think that the whole film might have been cursed. Um, and wearing the costumes was just pure torture for the cast. The actors had to endure, like, literal utter torture just to wear their costumes for starters Bert Lauer's cowardly lion costume was made from an actual lion hide and weighed about 90 pounds it didn't allow for much ventilation so Lauer was constantly sweating during filming and it got so bad it took two assistants to dry out the costume every single night from his sweat I don't know how he didn't pass out because I know for a fact I would have passed out if I was carrying 90 pounds for like hours and hours a day in the heat. Yeah. I know you don't have a brother, but I do. Mm -hmm. And I know my brother was a hockey guru. He oh, played hockey. They get stinky and sweaty in school that. and high school and even a little bit. And let me tell you, when I say he brought that hockey gear home, yeah. because they sweat like crazy mm -hmm. and let me tell you the stench of sweat that would come off that hockey gear the car like even on the drive home like i know exactly what you're talking i had some friends who played hockey. those duffel bags like my brother basically had to air it out like as soon as he got home yeah. had to be a uh, stinky up in the set oh, there it was a different kind of sweat too it was bad like, <laughs> This wasn't just like I was outside fixing a car and I sweated a little bit. You know, this was like... Pure inner body sweat coming oh to the God. surface. <laughs> Sorry, Jay, if you're listening. I doubt you are because you're my brother and don't know what a podcast is. But... <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I can't imagine like just sitting in that sweat all day. And I, I, I cannot imagine how it smelt. Especially for the poor assistants who had to dry it out every day. Ooh. Well, hopefully I painted enough picture for them to know. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Buddy Ebsen's Tin Man suit was made of metal, so he couldn't even sit down in it. Like, when he got tired, the poor guy had to lean on a board. He also had a violent reaction to his makeup that put him in the hospital. The incident forced MGM to recast his part to Jack Holly, um, which is who played the Tin Man in the movie. So two different Tin Mans. First guy uh, was pretty much tortured off the film, um, and then they replaced him. Uh, four different producers worked on the movie, and the film went through four different producers by the time it was through. So people were not, you know, they weren't really happy on this, on this site. Um... So Richard Thorpe, who was the first director, he insisted that Judy Garland wear, which I, you talked about, the blonde wig and thick makeup. Um, and Epson got sick from his Tin Man makeup. Filming shut down for two weeks and the studio fired Thorpe and replaced him with George Cooker um, from My Fair Lady fame. Um, and Cooker encouraged Garland to go with the natural makeup um, to look like less cartoonish. So, yeah, people just kept leaving and going back and forth. Um, and another really, really sad fact that is not confirmed, but it was highly talked about. Um, a lot of people really, really stuck with the story. So 
I'm kind of leaning towards it being true. Um, Garland might have been molested by Munchkins, um, the Munchkins on the set. Uh, and her ex-husband even says that she was. Sid Luft uh, was married to Garland from 1952 to 1965. And according to his memoir, Judy and I, My Life with Judy Garland, the actors in Wizard of Oz made her life hell. He said they would make Judy's life miserable on set by putting their hands under her dress. And the men were 40 or more years old. And she was 16 at the time. That's gross. And I want to say um, also Mayor the director um he they had rumored that he would put his hand on her chest um to make it look like he was touching her heart but it was in a seductive <sighs> gross way like a freaking harvey weinstein way gross and i think after he did it like one or two times there's a point where she did finally say like if you ever f- touch me like that again and um I believe after that he stopped. But, like, yeah, he always wanted, like, his girls to sit on the... Just, you know, the typical... Oh, yeah. He was the... Back then, he was Harvey Weinstein of what Harvey is today. He was, like, the... The creepy, gross guy who thought he had all the power over these women. And it's so sad because there's probably so many more men exactly like this in... I mean, not only the entertainment business, but in other businesses as well. And it's just so disgusting that that took place and I'm sure still takes place. And then I wonder why they drink and had alcohol and mental health problems. Exactly. And back then, you can't even get the mental health help that you can get today. Oh, yeah. It was so and we're struggling stigmatized. with it today still. Mm-hmm. And there's so much more help out there today. Than there was back then. Back then it was just like suck it up buttercup. Yeah people were just silently suffering. And couldn't even talk about it. Or didn't even probably understand it. To be or wouldn't a thing. Admit to it. There was embarrassing or. Uh huh. Yeah it was so stigmatized. That's just. Oh it's so messed up. Um, people thought Margaret Hamilton was really evil. Like they truly believed that. Um, and not only did the public think. The former kindergarten teacher was really evil but following the first airing of the wizard of oz she also suffered physically for the role um hamilton received second and third degree burns um all over her body when the green copper makeup she was wearing got too hot during the first scene um burt lair wasn't allowed to eat while in his makeup since it was so difficult to apply um at first he tried to remain agreeable and just live on like milkshake and soup so he didn't ruin his makeup but when filming the movie went on uh, for so long he put his foot down and just requested a makeup redo after lunch um yeah I don't know everyone was getting fed soup apparently that was like the main the main uh food item on the menu for all these poor actors and actresses no wonder why Campbell's soup became big (laughs) (laughs) literally they were they were paying for all of Campbell's profits um, the, just another kind of funny thing. They almost cut the song Over the Rainbow, which is so crazy to me because it's like the biggest song, <laughs> obviously from that movie, but it, everyone knows that song. Um, you know, the song was almost cut, uh, since producers thought it was too slow and long for younger kids watching the movie. Um, plus studio head Lewis B. Mayer thought it was too depressing they ultimately decided to leave it in when uh, one producer and assistant producer threatened to quit if it was cut. 
So thanks to them because they left in that uh, iconic, uh, iconic song. Um, so you kind of mentioned this in the beginning um, a little bit about the hanging. So if you've ever heard about the munchkin hanging himself during the filming, uh, which, you know, viewers can see if they kind of look close enough. I kind of looked into it and it turns out that that rumor is false. So the scene in question happens after Dorothy and Scarecrow attempt to like pick apples and encounter the Tin Man. And they head down the yellow brick road and the dark shadow in the distance is like said to, you know, look like that person hanging. Um, but it wasn't the suicide caught on film. It was a bird. Like, to make the movie set appear more representative of an outdoor setting, the studio brought in live birds to wander around the set. And the shadowy thing is actually a bird spreading its wings. It's not like a munchkin hanging. Is that true, true, or a cover-up, true? Uh, true. It could, <laughs> you're right. It could totally be a cover-up. I, with all this shit we've been reading about, I would not be surprised no, I'm if not they tried to... I'm not trying to fact-check you. I was... Oh, no, I... <laughs> I'm, that could be a cover-up, you know? They could be saying, oh, no, it was just a bird. Who knows? Uh, stage makeup and prosthetics in 1939 were nowhere near what they are today. Uh, Ray Bulger's scarecrow makeup left deeply embedded marks in his skin that didn't disappear for more than a year after the movie wrapped up filming. Um, you know, luckily this would never happen today, but clearly this film had issues with um, their makeup and, like, their costumes just leaving these people physically scarred and harmed, which is crazy because it's makeup and it's just, it's just for the show of it and the fact that it had such a, a horrible physical effect on these people. They should use Mac. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, now, Terry the Terrier, uh, he kept catapulted into fame, um, you know, the little, little dog. But uh, one controversial fact, Toto the dog aka Terry the Terrier. <laughs> he made about $125 per week working in the movie, which was more than some of the human munchkin actors got paid. The dog got paid more than the munchkins. Well, I mean, he's probably less of an asshole. True. Yeah, true. He didn't assault uh he didn't assault Judy. But it's just kind of funny that the dog got paid more than <laughs> the humans. He was a bigger role though, so kind of makes sense. And Judy Garland earned much less than her friends. Uh, talk about a wage gap. Uh, while Dorothy is no doubt, obviously, the star of the film, um, Judy Garland only earned about $500 per week playing the part. And meanwhile, Ray Bolger, who was the scarecrow, and Jack Haley, who was the tin man, earned the most, bringing home about $3,000 per week. They made way more than her, and it was her freaking movie. She was the star. She was in, like, every scene, and it's because they were men, and that's so... She was a young female, mm -hmm. minor female, and... That's how they took advantage of her, and it's, ugh, so upsetting. So, Buddy Ebsen, um... The original Tin Man, who I talked about a little bit earlier, he was fine with changing his character from the Scarecrow to the Tin Man. Obviously, you know, we talked about how from his makeup, he was sent to the hospital due to the silver uh, stuff that they put on his face. He says, my lungs were coated with that aluminum dust that they had been powdering on my face. Um, so 
once uh, the department changed roles because Jack Harley took over, um, they changed from a silver powder makeup to a paste. Um, and that oil everyone used on him, it actually got changed to chocolate syrup. So much better option than the first thing that uh, sent that guy to the hospital. And Judy Garland had to wear a very tight corset during filming to make her look as flat-chested and childish as possible. The directors also ordered her to lose at least 12 pounds in preparation for the role because um, she, they just didn't think she looked young enough and skinny enough, I guess, for the role that they wanted her to play. Even though she was a healthy weight, so I don't know. Just some really horrible, horrible stuff was going on behind the scenes. Screw them. Screw them all. Literally. Um, so Judy, um, she did, did up dying. In case you guys didn't know. <laughs> Surprise. Um, June 22nd, 1969 um, in London. I don't know if any of you guys out there, but me and Kay, we did watch Judy. I will say that Overall, it was a good movie. Mm -hmm. um, it showed you a lot of her adult life, the struggles that she never healed, I guess. Yeah. Um, with the pills and the problems. Um, she's also Liza Minnelli's mom, if you guys didn't know that. Um, so she did help getting, you know, Liza, you know, followed in her footsteps and got her going. Um I did learn that she was in the second rendition of A Star is Born. Yes. Um, the only one I did see, I'm not going to lie, is the Lady Gaga one. Same. I haven't seen any it. of the other. There's um, like five of them. I know my mom really likes the Barbra Streisand one. Okay. I may go back one time. That, wouldn't be, that, that would that be good. One. Barbra Streisand, I feel like, would um, nail that. But, yeah, just um, watching the movie and reading the book, just, it was so sad to see, like, she just, she couldn't get this pill thing you know she tried to kick it and then she couldn't and you know it it just caused so much chaos in her life and she was just a wreck and you know just drugged and you know lost out on monies in movies and productions because she was you know passed out or couldn't get together or hospitalized um she tried to commit herself commit suicide like what five times i mm -hmm. think um you know, she had cut, um, it wasn't even her wrist, I think it was her neck, she cut her neck, and, um, you know, it was just five marriages, and it was just so sad to see and read and research this, because she could have had such a beautiful life if she would have just had the home support that she needed. Yeah, she just needed proper nourishment, and like, yeah, like the movie was her adult life and struggling i think most of it was like the let took place most of it was like the last year of her life but she had a lot of flashbacks in the movie to like different situations that she dealt with as a child and just kind of like outlining like why she was the way that she was and yeah just to see her struggle obviously you know renee zellweger but like to see how she struggled because of those things uh, just is really heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, and the people she was connected to, like we kind of talked earlier, I mean, the Frank Sinatra, Jane Kelly, um, Clark Gable, Mickey Rooney, like the 
the Rat Pack, um, Elizabeth Taylor. I, I feel like I'm missing another big actress that she kind of hung out with a lot. Yeah. But, I mean, it was just, you know, stacked celebrities. It could have been a whole new, I mean, because she was getting into parties that were just like A-game, top-of-the-line celebrities. And, you know, yeah, she was quite the party, but it was just, she was partying because she was struggling. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really know until I watched the movie um, that she was, like, really financially struggling too in life especially towards the end of her life you know she was homeless and she really only took those um those shows in london just to try and build up enough money and build a life for her kids which is so heartbreaking that you know her intentions were so pure going into it but her struggles just kind of overcame all of that yeah one of her husbands um or one of her I don't know if it was even she married him, and forgive me because I can't remember who he was, but one of her male companions screwed her out of a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of the big losses for money, and, you know, it's just it was just terrible. Like, she had people just taking advantage of her from money, from just every aspect of her life was just... There was no one she could trust, and... Like I said, it almost sounded like she was an adult child because she did not know how to handle herself. She was probably, yeah, emotionally stunted just from everything, like, she had to deal with. Um, but yeah, it, it was a really good movie. It was kind of on the longer side, I think, um, but I think it was definitely worth wa- uh, worth the watch if you're into that. Um, I did hear Liza Minnelli, or I read... She was not supportive of the film being made, um, and she wasn't really fully supportive of Renee Zellweger playing her mother. See, I thought Renee did great. Oh, I think she did great, but I don't know if, I think she just, I think Liza was just fully not in support of the film itself. Like, she probably just didn't want her mom being showcased that way, because she probably saw her mom in a different way, I'm sure, because I'm sure Judy tried to hide all of those dark parts of her life from her children so to see that i'm sure is just not what she wants to be displayed to the world oh absolutely when judy was alive you know she went through people talking about you know her drug and alcohol and suicides and all that stuff so she probably you know thinking like even after her death people are still talking about her struggles and I want her to be known as Dorothy Gale, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, all the success that she's done in her voice and that she could sing and entertain and dance and not be ugly to it. Right. Which is true. That should be the part that people remember. But it is sad and hard when these truths are revealed about how hard her life was. Yep, that and um, I learned that she did sing to Clark Gable on his birthday. Happy birthday. Yes. So. Okay, well, thank you, Judy Garland, for sharing your life. Um, I feel like it had just come to me. Mm -hmm. Literally, signs were. (laughs) You were getting a lot. 
So um, hopefully we did her proud. And thank you guys for listening. I know it was a little on the longer side today. Um, but also um, we are going to do a Christmas um, raffle. So 99 cents. Get your tickets in. You can PayPal at horrorwineandcrime.com. Um, you can reach us through email, all the socials. If you know some person, you clearly know how to get a hold of us. Yeah. So um, it's going to be a Gremlins package. So all the things Gremlins for Christmas. Um, yes. Yeah. So get excited and get those in. Um... And we're excited to give them out to you. Absolutely. On that note, we've got to go. Stay creepy. Bye. Bye. Bye.